Good morning. Are all the gadgets ready? <coughs> Today we think of the subject of <coughs> living life as God intended it to be. And we take up from where Cam finished last Sunday in second chapter of Corinthians and verse 5 where the Apostle Paul says that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Then he goes on to say, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These things are the things God hath revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we taught, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In these words, Paul speaks of the wisdom that comes from God that is a completely different level than anything we understand as human beings. He speaks of the mystery that is now in Christ revealed to the world, that mystery that had been brewing and had been seen in the Old Testament, God's plan of redemption fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. And he talks about being taught by the Spirit. He talks about a new dimension of life. And we'll read on a little later, a few verses into chapter 3. And in those passages, he speaks of three different kinds of people. Three different kinds of people. In our translation that we read this morning, it says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. And it goes on to say, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. 
In other words, they think of things at a different level. But then he goes on to speak of a third kind of person in the next passage that we'll read. In fact, we might as well read it now so we know where we're going. He says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, talking now to Christians, but people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready yet to receive it, neither yet are you still ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy, quarrelling and divisions among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not carnal or fleshly and acting like mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each task. And so here in this passage he speaks of these three people that in a way is almost clouded by our translation because it talks about those with the Spirit, those without the Spirit, those who can't be spoken to as though they've got the Spirit because they're acting in the wrong way. In the Greek, they're just three distinct words. Where it says the person without the Spirit, the word simply means a natural person. It's the Greek word psychikos, which means that which pertains to the animal world rather than the spiritual pertains to life or the soul but animal rather than spiritual subsistence occupied with mere animal things, animal sensual. And that's the word that Paul uses there when he says those without the spirit, the natural person. In the book of Ephesians he, he talks of such a person again reminding us as Christians that that's what we were before we came to Christ. He says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The prophet Jeremiah put it even more strongly. He said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And God through the prophet Isaiah speaking of those who try in their dead state to please God, said all our righteousnesses, all the best things we can produce in this state of being natural, in this state of being at that animal level, in that state of being without the Spirit of God, are as filthy rags. And the word that's used in the Hebrew simply means a menstrual cloth. So the Bible's estimate of human nature without God, is that they're dead. Is that they can't please God in their natural state. Even he says your good works, the best you can produce as a natural person, in God's eyes is as good as a used tampon. That's God's estimate of human nature that has turned its back on him. Such a person is alive physically but dead toward God without the Spirit. 
Many times I've tried to talk to people about the Lord Jesus, talk to them of their soul, talk to them of the Spirit of God and somehow in their eyes you can tell they haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. There's just a blank stare of complete misunderstanding, non-understanding. For a natural person is all alone in this world. Well, they may have friends who would support them, but it's all on the level of humanity, nothing that is spiritual. A person might become sick and say, oh, I will fight this thing. But they have no recourse to prayer, no recourse to the throne of grace, no recourse to the help of the Almighty alone. And being alone then must fill the void with activity, with things. Anything to try and satisfy, not understanding that there can, no be, there can be no satisfaction, no true satisfaction as a, as a human being without knowing the eternal. For we were made that way. He made us to have fellowship with himself. He made us to walk with him, to talk with him, to share our lives with him, to know his life dwelling within us. Human nature generally goes through the cycle of life from birth to infancy to adolescence to old age to to, uh, maturity gathering things together like squirrels and woodpeckers. Comes to the end of their life having rehearsed all their life for a constant. They never get time to give before moving from their body into an eternity without God. Into the torment of knowing as a spiritual being and yet in a natural state an eternity of knowing it could have been different an eternity of regret but it was never God's intent that we should stay that way and through the cross through what was accomplished on Calvary, when God himself became man and lived amongst us, when God himself bore the punishment of hell, when God himself bore the anger and the wrath of Almighty God, as we put our trust in him, our old life is transformed. Our old life is completely put away. So much so that the same apostle in the second letter to the Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Or am I talking to someone today and you've never ever invited the Lord Jesus to come into your life, never asked him to become Lord of your life, never asked him to forgive your sin? He wants to bring you into a place where your old past completely ceases to exist. It's no longer there. Well, that's his promise. 
everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, everything that we've ever, by which we've grieved him, he takes away and cleanses and washes and puts it out of his own memory, the Bible says. The natural person, Paul says. Those without the spirit. Then he goes on to speak of a second person, the spiritual person. For when one says, <coughs> sorry, the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, that such a person is not subject to mere human judgment. This person now has changed from being in the old life to a completely new life. The word that is used in the Greek is the word pneumatikos, used in verses 15 and, and in verses 15 and verse 16, he tells us about that person, the one who knows the mind of the Lord, so the Lord instructs him, but we have the mind of Christ. The word pneumatikos means spiritual, pertaining to the soul as distinguished from what concerns the body. Spiritual, pertaining to the nature of spirits, relating to the influences of the Holy Spirit, superior in process to the natural course of things. Of a person, it refers to someone who is gifted with a spiritual frame of mind, having spiritual views and affections. It applies to God. It can apply to either people or things. For example, if we move a little later into chapters 12 and 13 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, as we will in the future, this word is used at the beginning of chapter 12. Now Paul says concerning spiritual, and most translations say spiritual gifts, but the word is just this word spiritual, concerning spiritual things. I want to talk to you about them. The message actually I think translates that verse probably one of the best I've seen where Paul says I want to talk about now in various ways God's spirit gets worked out in our lives. And he moves from speaking about the problems that they have in their life, the carnal difficulties that they face to talk about spiritual things, to talk about the Holy Spirit teaching us of the Lordship of Jesus. Talk to us about charismata, grace-given gifts. To talk about love, prophecy and tongues, about order in the church, about the resurrection of Christ and the dead, about the resurrection of the body and the collection of God's people. Spiritual things. So what do we mean by a spiritual person? Well, first of all, we better establish what it's not. A spiritual person spoken of here is not some kind of spiritual superhero goody-goody two-shoes who seems to feel that they walk on a different plane than everyone else. That's the Pharisee model. Nor is the spiritual person that he's speaking about here a special group of people within the church those who perhaps feel that 
but they're the ones that keep the church going because of their own spirituality. One of the problems with thinking that within the body of Christ is that very often it becomes very divisive. I remember when I was a student at Bible College, someone, I'm not sure where they started as a joke, but they started putting together a list of people they considered to be spiritual giants amongst the student body. Of course, the list was added to, especially by their friends who considered they were spiritual too, and so the list grew. And then word got out that this list was composed and then people found out they weren't on the list and they weren't too happy and it caused a lot of division. Unnecessary. Nor is this matter of being a spiritual person got anything to do with the use necessarily of spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul in chapter 1 and verse 7 says to the Corinthian church, when gifts were given out, you weren't behind the door. He said, you've got the whole bag of them. Chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, you come behind in no gifts. They've all been given to you. But then in chapter 3 and verse 1, as we see, as we will see, he's had to say to them, but I can't speak to you as spiritual persons spiritual people. One of the tragedies, I believe, of the church very often is that people exercise their gifts, their spiritual given gifts, their special gifts that God has given. But they do it in a sense, in a way, and they're not necessarily spiritual themselves. And there's no power, no blessing, no outpouring of the Spirit of God as if the two come together, the use of spiritual gifts in a heart that is right and spiritual and walking with God, what power is unleashed? So what do we mean by a spiritual person? Let's put it very simply. What Paul is talking about here is what God intends for you and me as a normal Christian life all that God intended for us in Christ. Is is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul in one place says, I want to lay hold of all that for which the Lord Jesus has laid hold of me. I want to know it all. It's what God wants. Being a spiritual person is coming into a relationship with the Lord Jesus through which we share the life of God and through whom then our bodies, through, through our bodies then God can pour out his life on a daily basis. A spiritual person is one who has turned from their sin to seek God's way. A spiritual person is not one who considers themselves to be sinless, but one who mourns over their sin, one who is grieved over their failures and their weaknesses, one who with the Apostle Paul cries out as he did in Romans chapter 6, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? The things I want to do, I don't seem to do them. The things I know I shouldn't be doing, they're the things I I keep on doing. Who can deliver me? He says, Jesus can. He can give you victory. A spiritual person is one who walks in humility and faith 
knowing that they have nothing of themselves that they have not received from God. No right to call him Father except the right that he has given. No goodness except the righteousness that he has bestowed upon them. A spiritual person is one who is filled with the Spirit of God continually. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody, that wonderful man of God whom God used in the 19th century to lead thousands to himself, said on one occasion, any Christian should be able to answer if asked, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? At any time should be able to say, yes. Yes. A.W. Tozer, in one of his books, says, every Christian is as filled with the Holy Spirit as he or she wants to be. We may not be as filled with the Spirit as we'd like to be. We may not be as filled with the Spirit as we know we ought to be. But we are all as filled with the Holy Spirit this morning as we want to be because it depends on our surrender to allowing him to have his place in our life. A spiritual person is one who seeks God's guidance and is led by him. A spiritual person is one in whose life there is evidence of change. Paul says to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, self-control. This is the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives as we share his life. And if there is no fruit, then one has to question if there's any life. Coming to Christ has not made a difference in your life by the way you behave at work, at home, at school, wherever. Then you have to question whether or not you've really surrendered your life to him. Because a spiritual person is one who is moving day by day continually more and more into the image of Christ. That is God's work within the heart, God's work within the life to make us more and more like Jesus. When the words of an old American, African-American preacher, I ain't what I ought to be and I ain't what I'm going to be. But praise God, I ain't what I used to be. That should be the testimony of every one of us. That by the grace of God, he has transformed us. In the place of impurity, he's put purity. In the place of pride, he's put humility. In the place of, of self-will, he's put a desire to serve him and so on. The natural man, the one who is without God, the spiritual man, the spiritual person, the one who has come into that life-changing relationship with Almighty God. Now we'll see if we can move on. 
And then Paul comes to a third kind of person, which we'll call the carnal Christian. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit or the spiritual person, but as people who are still worldly. That's a fairly general term, but he actually makes it a lot more personal because the word means carnal or fleshly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, but you, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly or carnal and fleshly, for since there is jealousy, quarrelling and divisions among you, are you not worldly, carnal or fleshly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not carnal or fleshly and acting like mere human beings? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul and his servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each one his task? So now he talks to the Corinthian people of a third group of people. He refers to them as fleshly. Now we need to be very clear on this first of all that he's talking here to Christians. They were babes in Christ. They had come to an understanding of Christ. They had come into a new relationship. They knew what it was to have their sin forgiven. They knew what it was to know an element of peace with God. They knew what it was to have entered into all the wonders of what it was to be children of God. But he says, I have to call you fleshly. The Greek word is sarkinos or sarkinois. And it means of the flesh, fleshly, carnal, pertaining to the flesh, human nature, circumstances of the body and a natural condition and a material condition, subject to the propensity of the flesh. He uses in these few verses evidence of that, that they were, there was jealousy among them, quarrelling, divisions among them. But he didn't end with there because the next, next chapter is right up through to chapter 11. He starts talking about their fleshly behaviour. He went on to talk to them about not just divisions but the fact that there was no submission to authority, about sexual immorality about the fact that they were taking one another to court, suing one another. Talked about problems in marriage, problems with idol worship, irreverence in the worship of the church and abuse of the Lord's table. He went on to talk of all those things. So Paul says it's possible to live in such a way that the spirit does not control your life. You're no longer a natural person, that is without God. But he says I couldn't speak to you either as a spiritual person, one who was living filled with the spirit under the control of the spirit, day by day enjoying fellowship with the spirit of God. But now he says I have to speak to you as carnal people, fleshly people, even though you are Christ's. 
I have to speak to you as babies in Christ. They just hadn't grown up. You know, I don't think in the physical realm, I don't think there's anything quite so sad as a baby that doesn't grow up, either mentally or spiritually. Concerns of the parent. They never stop being loved. Maybe they're loved even more. Nurtured, cared for. What a tragedy. How much more in the spiritual realm is a Christian that doesn't grow up a tragedy to their Heavenly Father? The one who gave so much for them for us. He wants us to grow in Christ. Characteristics of the flesh or carnality in a believer's life. I would suggest to you that means anything that remains unchecked that is the opposite of love. But God has called us as spiritual people to walk in his love. Impatience, unkindness, envy, pride and boastfulness, conceit, rudeness, selfishness, irritability, unkind thoughts and judgments of others. Anything that remains unchecked or excused that stems from the old life, anything that controls us of our own flesh and self, self-pity, Self-effort in service, self-seeking, self-indulgence and gratification, sensitiveness, resentment, self-defence, self-consciousness, reserve, worry, fear, etc. And God forbid carry over of the works of the sinful flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatreds, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I tell you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, how we follow Christ every day, every day is a matter of the will. Every day we choose. That's why I believe the Lord Jesus said, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The Apostle Paul worked that out when he said, I die daily. We could be a Christian for many years but unless by an act of our will we choose willingly, gladly to be more like Jesus we won't end up that way. For a carnal Christian has no victory. Always battling with the flesh but with no victory because the will is not set 
to following Christ. A carnal Christian is one who behaves like a spiritual baby. And in the spiritual world, just as in the physical world, for a baby, it's all about me. Me, me, me. Nobody appreciates my gifts. Nobody recognises my gifts. I have a right to be used in the church but nobody seems very interested in me. I have a right to be happy and it doesn't really matter if I obey the word of God or not. My right is to be happy. The good old syndrome of nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I think I'll look for a different church. It's the mark of a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian is one who uses God as a crutch or one as, as an optional extra instead of embracing him as their life. When I was a young pastor, I think at the time I was 24, there was a lady in the church of which I was the pastor who at the time was 72. I thought she was an old lady but now she's five years younger than I am now. And this lady was a driving force within the church. She'd been there for years. She was quite a dominant figure within the church. She never missed a Sunday service. Back in those days, it was two services every Sunday, morning and night. She was there every time. She never missed a Wednesday night Bible study and prayer. She was heavily involved with the Ladies' Guild and the women's ministries. She could be quite a formidable person. She wasn't very big, but she held quite a bit of power. On one occasion, we were on the Wednesday night doing a series of studies on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And in preparation for the final study, which was to how to be filled with the Spirit and how to continue being filled with the Spirit, we did a study that was very much what we've talked about today. Three kinds of people, the natural person, the spiritual person and the carnal Christian. And I had a list, all the Bible readings were all printed out that we followed on a sheet of paper, including a list of the marks of a carnal Christian, similar to what we've got up there. Toward the end of the evening, I could tell she wasn't very happy. In fact, suddenly she blurted out and said, she said, nobody could live without those things in their life. And I could tell she went home quite disturbed. The next day, in much fear and trepidation, in my youthful ignorance almost, I paid her a visit. She gave me a cup of tea and some of the beautiful scones for which she was a renowned. We engaged in a little 
chit-chat. Then she said, now, about that study last night. I have to confess, I sort of choked on my scone and nearly swallowed the whole cup. Because I could tell she wasn't happy. She said, when I got home last night, I read every one of those verses that you had on that sheet of paper again. She must have got to bed quite late. And then with the tears streaming down her face, she said, Mr. Brown, I have been a member of that church for 52 years and I never knew until last night that there was such a thing as a carol Christian. Do you know there's such a thing as a carnal Christian? Do you know that to be a spiritual person, do you know to know the living God, maker of heaven and earth, it means surrendering your life to him so that he is in control? So that all the old things of the flesh are done away with and by his grace we overcome them. Just recently I've been reading a book called The Messengers of Ethiopia and it speaks of some of the men and women of God who God raised up in that country in southern Ethiopia. Well, 80 years ago there wasn't one single Christian and now they number in the millions. And it reminded me of what I'd seen Ethiopian people do, that when a person professed to become Christ, they would stand up in front of all the congregation, they'd put their hands up in the air and they'd say, I renounce my old life. I renounce Satan and all his ways and I take hold of Jesus Christ with both my hands. And I would suggest in our Western world we've got it around the wrong way. We talk about receiving Jesus, asking Jesus to come in and all that's so necessary but we don't put enough emphasis on the fact that to receive Christ it means the old has to go. You can't have both. Today, are you a natural person? Do you know Christ? Are you a spiritual person? Are you one who really, really desires him to be Lord of your life? Or are you a carnal Christian, one who professes to be Christ in that you're living as you please, doing your own thing, walking your own way? Today, as we finish our service, In a moment we'll sing our closing hymn. But today we give an opportunity for those who would like to declare their desire to put the old behind them and to follow Christ with all their heart to do so. By simply leaving the place where you're standing as you sing and coming and standing down here at the front as an act of public declaration. Today I am forsaking my old life. Today I'm forsaking being a carnal Christian. Today I take hold of Jesus with both my hands and I will surrender my life to him. And I don't care who knows about it because I want to follow him with all my heart. As we sing our last hymn, if God has spoken to you and you know you're not right with him and you know you need to get right with him and you would forsake your old life and follow him, then you come as we sing. Shall we pray?